Well, good morning. I want to say thanks for coming uh, today. I appreciate you being here. It's good to see uh, those of you who are at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are at our Mill Creek campus, and those who are watching online. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, let me just say at the outset, this is going to be a very kind of a delicate kind of a message. And uh, it's a sensitive topic because in all of my years of talking to and listening to and counseling married couples, if you were to ask me what's been the most surprising shocking and saddening thing I've heard over and over again. It would best be represented by an email I got from a woman just a few years ago. She sent it anonymously. I don't know who she was. She may be here today. I don't know. But here is what she wrote. She said, Dear Pastor, please mention how important intimacy is in marriage. My husband simply is not interested in sex anymore, and it breaks my heart. I feel so rejected and I don't know what to do. And I'm just being honest with you. I am stunned. I mean, I'm just stunned. When I talk to couples, married couples, I'm talking about in their 20s and in their 30s and in their 40s, and they share the same problem. And I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to married couples who I would have thought from the outside appear to have this strong, healthy marriage but come to find out that the fire in the bedroom has completely gone out. Uh, sometimes it's because either or both are too tired or they're too busy. But let me tell you what I have found by far most often. It's not that they're too tired. It is not that they're too busy. They've just given up. They, they've just decided that's just not going to be a part of our marriage. And, and what troubles me, not so much just that sex in so many marriages is basically non-existent, but why it is. And that's what brings us to the topic that we're going to look at today. We're in a series, by the way, if this is your first time, that we're calling just the three of us. We've been talking about marriage. And just to catch you up very quickly, we've been kind of hammering home the point. Marriage is not a contract with a 30-day out. Marriage is a covenant that a man and a woman make together before God. It's the covenant that says, it's till death do us part. And what we said over the last couple of weeks is, is that the most important part of a marriage is not that you be physically joined together or emotionally joined together. The most important part is, is that you be spiritually joined together. That the love of the husband ought to be the Lord first and the love of the wife ought to be the Lord first. And then their love will be their strongest and their best when they love God the most. Well, what you're going to understand today, I hope, is one of the supreme ways that a man and a woman express their love continuously to each other is through sexual intimacy. So I want to say this again. I, I, I've got a tough task, so you please do pray for me because I want to walk a fine line between being discreet, what I'm going to talk about, and yet at the same time be faithful to what is honestly some very candid instructions you're going to find in Scripture uh, concerning sex and marriage. And, and, and here's the good part. The good thing is, as we study the passage I'm going to share with you in a moment, the good part for me is, is to know, well, this is not something new. This is not a problem we're just facing in the 21st century. It was a problem that was going on 2,000 years ago. So I want to invite you to find with me a book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's in the New Testament. It's about five or six books to the right of the Gospel of Matthew. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, let me just tell you, kind of give it, set the background. It, it really also surprises me in a way that what the Apostle Paul is writing to this church 
is a church in Corinth. I have visited the ancient ruins of Corinth, and it, it really was an unbelievable city. Because the thing about Corinth that's so fascinating is it really mirrors the culture of Atlanta or New York or, or Los Angeles. It would, Corinth would fit perfectly in the 21st century. It was very secular. It was very pagan. It was kind of on the cultural cutting edge. As a matter of fact, they had a, they had a saying. It's on a hieroglyphic over there. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, okay? So, I mean, it was really a very, very kind of a modern city. There was a party going on in Corinth 24 hours a day. The God that they worshiped, the God that they loved more than any other God was the goddess called Aphrodite. You know who Aphrodite was. She was the goddess of sex. As a matter of fact, her image appeared on the city's coin. You know, on our coins, we have, the, we have presidents. On their coin, they had the goddess of Aphrodite. They had at least three temples that were dedicated to the worship of Aphrodite. And guess what? At those temples, they would have up to 1,000 temple prostitutes where you could go and worship Aphrodite in a very unique way. Every Sunday was high attendance for the men, okay? I mean, it was that kind of a wild culture. And this is what's really strange. They taught that sex within marriage was only for the purpose of having children and that the best sex and the most exciting sex was outside of marriage. And that's why I say not a lot has changed because if you watch television or you go to the movies, you'll see this time and time again. Most of the time, sex is short. It's spontaneous. It's very passionate. It's quick. It's intense. And a matter of fact, usually the only qualification for sex in the movies and on TV is either a couple has just met or it's an extramarital or a non-marital affair because passionate marital sex is rarely depicted in the cinema. As a matter of fact, uh, they did a study a few years ago. You'll find this interesting. They did a study of the top movie back when you used to have Blockbuster back in that day. They did a study of all of the movies that were rented that had any kind of a romantic theme. And they looked at the top, I think, 30 or 40 movies that were rented over a period of time. Here's what they found. Sexual behavior between married partners occurred 15% of the time. But sexual relations between unmarried couples happened 85% of the time. And the predominant message and narrative of, 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 the, of the cinema is when you get married, the sexual chemistry kind of fizzles out. The fire kind of dies down. And yet here's what's also really, really strange. The sexual reality, I mean the scientific reality and the clinical reality is very different. Married couples, according to all studies that I have found, married couples have more sex and more satisfying sex, at least in marriages that are truly healthy. As a matter of fact, scientists say that sexuality plays a 20%, now listen to this, a 20% positive role in marriage. 42% of males, in a, of wives in a marriage said they found sex emotionally and physically satisfying compared to just 31% of single women who had a non-marriage sex partner. On the other hand, 48% of husbands said sex was satisfying emotionally compared to just 37% of cohabiting men. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. Dr. Uh, Andrew Atwood, who is a marriage and family expert, estimates there are 17 up, up to and maybe more than 17 million married couples in America 
that have no sex, no intimacy, no physical kind of relationship at all. And that brings us to the Apostle Paul who's dealing exactly with this problem in this church at Corinth. As a matter of fact, you're gonna find this interesting. One of the interesting things about what you're gonna read is he's actually responding to a letter that, uh, that he had written to them. And so they're responding back and they've got some questions about some things that he had said. So what he's doing, he's just answering their question. So we're in 1 Corinthians 7, we begin with verse one. He says, now for the matters that you wrote about. So Paul's letting us know, all right, I, you, you've written me and you've had some questions and I'm gonna respond to you. Now, the reason why they wrote Paul, Paul was kind of the Dr. Phil of this church, okay? And the reason is he founded the church. He started the church. He was kind of the father figure in the church. So <clears throat> anytime they had a spiritual question, they, that Paul was their go-to guy. So they write a letter to him. Here's what they had written. He said, now it is good. Here's what they were saying to him. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they were saying. They were really asking. Our belief is it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. They weren't talking about outside of marriage. They were talking about inside marriage. They were talking within the context of marriage. And somehow they had come to this belief that the only time that a husband and wife should ever come together for the purpose of sexual intercourse was to conceive children. Otherwise, they should abstain. So Paul, now what Paul's about to do, so, so buckle your seatbelt, he's about to kind of set the record straight about sex and the married life. And I want to tell you up front, what he says is an eye-opener. It was then and it is now. I read about a man that was at a zoo and he walked by this empty cage and it had a sign over it and it said monkeys. Well, there were no monkeys in the cage. So the zookeeper came by and he said, excuse me, you work here? He said, well, yeah, I'm the zookeeper. He said, well, the sign says monkeys. He says, yeah, I know. He says, well, where are all the monkeys? He said, well, uh, it's mating season and they're inside. And the guy said, well, do you think they'd come out for peanuts? He looked at him and he said, would you? So, you know, I, after I read that story, maybe you're eating too many peanuts, okay? I don't know what the problem is, but what I want us to do this morning is look at sex from a biblical perspective. And what Paul says really is an eye-opener, and I'm just gonna be honest with you. There are some of you right now, you're squirming in your seat, you're uncomfortable because I am talking to you, and it's really not me. I'm gonna let the scripture do the talking, okay? But let's just see what Paul has to say about this whole matter of sex and marriage. He says three very wonderful things. He says, number one, we consummate marriage through the sexual act. We consummate marriage through the sexual act. So remember, they're asking the question. So Paul, are we right in saying that once, in a, man, once a man and a woman get married, that the only time they ever ought to have sex is if they're trying to have a child, all right? So Paul's answering the question. Here's what he says. But he says, since sexual immorality is occurring, in other words, here's what was happening. The guy was not having sex with his wife or the wife's not having sex with the guy and predominantly so the guy would go outside of the marriage for sex. He says, look, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now again, this encourages me. It lets me know. Sometimes we think, you know, we're so far advanced in our society in the way we think and the way we act. Let me give you some news. You see those two words, sexual immorality? They had the same problem back then we got today. People were shacking up. 
People were fornicating. People were committing adultery. They were having, you know, uh, sex with prostitutes. They had mistresses on the side. They had sex with slaves. I mean, it was all kind of going on. Sexual immorality is as old as the beginning of time. It, is a, it was a particular problem in this city 2,000 years ago. As, in fact, probably nothing in human life, and, and I've learned this after a long year, time in ministry, nothing in human life is more of a burden if it's done wrong than sex. And nothing in human life is more of a blessing if it's done right than the act of sex. I have seen it time and time again. Sexual sin is a napalm bomb to so many people in relationships. It's broken more marriages. It's shattered more homes. It shed more tears. It's caused more hurt. It's killed more friendships. It's hindered more children. It's destroyed more families than almost anything else you could imagine. And I've got a feeling that's why God decided, and, 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 and when you read the scripture, you'll find it's just very plain. It's very pointed. It, 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 it's very simple, it's very candid, it's very honest on the when of sex and the where of sex and the who of sex. Because just as a kind of a reminder, go back to sex 101, the Bible is very plain, Paul was very plain, Jesus was very plain, that sex was never intended for a man and a man. It was never intended for a woman and a woman, nor was it even intended for just a man and a woman. From the beginning of time, sex was always intended to be between a husband and a wife. I taught my boys growing up, and we, when we had that talk, sex is like a train. When it stays within the tracks, It'll get you where you need to go every single time. But if the train ever jumps the tracks, it will go where you didn't want to go and somebody's going to get hurt and something is going to get destroyed. So when God gave us this gift of sex, he said, okay, the train of sex is run between the tracks of marriage between a husband and a wife. This is why, once again, I say this so often, we always complicate the simple where Jesus simplifies the complicated. Because Paul right here in this verse that we just read is giving us a very simple formula that is foolproof and fail safe and it works because it's God's way. Here's God's plan. It's virginity before marriage and monogamy after marriage. Now I realize, you're, I know some of you are saying, you are kidding. No, I'm not. Virginity before marriage. And I know there's a modern day society out there that says monogamy after marriage, you're kidding. No, I'm not. It's virginity before marriage. It is monogamy after marriage. In other words, here's what God says. This is what the scripture says. You wanna do it right? No sex before marriage, all sex within marriage, and no sex without marriage. However, Paul was addressing an even deeper problem. You had these married couples in Corinth and they loved God and they loved each other and they loved the church and they loved the scripture and they loved Paul, but, but, they, but they, they didn't understand that part of the purpose of marriage was to enjoy the pleasures of sex. And somehow, and, and we've seen this way back in the past, maybe you saw it in the life of your parents or your grandparents or whatever, somehow this idea had formed that it's just unclean or it's ungodly, it's unspiritual to have sex just for the pleasure of sex. A leading marital therapist, and by the way, a Christian psychologist said this, and it's a long quote, but I want you to stay with me and listen to what he said. This is an expert. I'm not an expert. He's an expert. He said, sexual pleasure is one of the most intense human experiences. 
Physically speaking, when a man or a woman reaches sexual excitement, nerve endings release a chemical into the brain called opioid. Found that interesting. Opioid means opium-like and is a good description of the power of this chemical. Apart from a heroin-induced experience, nothing is more physically pleasurable than sex. This is a wonderful thing in a committed marriage relationship because it helps to bond two people together and bring joy to living together and building a relationship. That is the very purpose of the honeymoon, which is by, why, by the way, I'll tell you something I've never told anybody. When I carried my wife, Teresa, when I carried her across the threshold, I looked up at the ceiling and I said, Lord Jesus, I believe you're coming again, but not tonight. So there's this pleasure. It is, that, it is that honeymoon period where the marriage is truly consummated before God and the ma- husband and the wife become one and the marital bond is sealed. And for those of us who have been married and for those of us who have experienced that honeymoon, you know what I'm talking about. It's an amazing thing. You go to bed with a woman that you've never been to bed with before, but you wake up the next morning and somehow you can't explain it, you can't put it into words, but all of a sudden you have become one in a way with a human being that you never really thought was possible, which is exactly God's plan. God, sex consummates the marriage. We consummate marriage through the sexual act. All right, number two, we celebrate marriage with sexual passion. We consummate marriage, but we celebrate marriage with sexual passion. Now, again, I'm going to state some things that are just obvious. You know this. I'm not, I'm not Dr. Phil. I'm certainly not Dr. Ruth, okay? But I'm going to say some things you know that are very obvious. The husband has his needs. The wife has her, those, her needs. And, and Paul is saying those needs are to be continuously met. So in other words, here's what Paul is saying. He said the fire that is lit on the honeymoon listen now, is never meant to go out. The fire that is lit in the honeymoon is never meant to go out when the honeymoon is over. That's why, get ready, Paul, and he's, now listen, he's saying these things 2,000 years ago. That's why he goes on now to say these stunning words. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. So in other words, he was saying to some of these guys that went to the temple of Aphrodite, move your church membership. Go find you another place to go, all right? And likewise, the wife to her husband. So what Paul does in the first two verses, he's dealt with the premarital life. Now he's dealing with the postmarital life. And what he's saying is very simple. Once you're married, love expressed through sexual intimacy is something you both should give to each other, is something you owe to each other and only to each other. Now, guys, let me just tell you something. All of you who are husbands, look up. It's not coincidental that in that verse, he mentions the husband first. He didn't have to. He could have mentioned the wife. He didn't do that. He starts with the husband. Why? Because we husbands are to give our wives the same physical affection and the same attention after marriage that we gave to our wives before marriage. We need to continuously tell our wives and show our wives and affirm our wives that we love them in ways that they can see and they can hear and they can experience, okay? Look, I'm not an idiot. I realize, I realize very clearly it takes two to keep a fire going, but it only takes one to get it started. 
It takes two to keep it going. I get that. But it only takes one to get it started. And God has given to the husband the primary responsibility of keeping the romantic fire burning. And what he's saying to us husbands is, hey, guys, you know how you courted your wife before you got married? Well, you don't get courting her after you get married. Courtship doesn't end just because the marriage begins. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Here's what's really true. Here's what I've learned in 42 years of a wonderful marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but a wonderful marriage. What I've learned in 42 years is this. When the marriage begins, that's when the courtship really starts. When the marriage begins, that's when the courtship really starts. In other words, no married couple should ever quit dating. I mean, guys, let me ask you a question. I'm just asking, just be kind of honest. I know I'm meddling a little bit, but hang with me. How many times... Did you take your wife out before you got married and you had to stop at the door and kiss her goodnight when you really wanted to go inside and have some fun? Guess what? After you get married, you get to do both. That's the way it works. But then he addresses the wife. And by the way, now it's interesting he does something. Paul is a great psychologist. He's a master psychologist. In verse three, he starts with the husband. He knows what he's doing. But then in verse four, he starts with a wife. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields to his wife. Now, here's why I want to be very delicate, and I, want to be, I don't want to be misunderstood. So, you wives especially, you're a wife. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Don't forget this part of the message. Even in marriage... It is never right for a man to force himself on his wife. I want to make that, I don't, have, I don't know how, how plainer I can make that. Even in marriage, when the wife says no, she means no. Okay, everybody heard that. And there are times that women have legitimate reasons for saying no. On the other hand, wives, Paul is very plain. You do have a biblical and marital responsibility to meet your husband's needs when you are able to do so. Husbands, you have the biblical responsibility to meet the sexual needs of your wife. And when either partner requests intimacy, again, unless there's a strong physical or emotional or a spiritual reason why that intimacy ought to be withheld, then sexual love, according to Paul says, sexual affection should be given. This is why Paul goes on to kind of make a clarification in verse five. He says, look, do not deprive each other except, so there are exceptions to the rule, perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul says, look, there are times when a man and his wife may mutually say, you know, we're going to abstain for a certain time. For whatever the reason, it may be over spiritual matters or there's just a lot of stress going on or, you know, there's physical and emotional reasons and, and, and so forth. Paul says, look, I get it. There's those, there's those times and that's fine. But to be honest, he said, it's just not right to claim a headache every night. I love the story. I hope you get a husband came home. He's been on a long business trip. He's in a very romantic mood. And so he, he wanted to kind of set the stage, you know, for, for some romance that night. And so he, he did everything he could to, to make it, you know, make things ready. So he, you know, for some together time. And so he, he cooked a, a nice dinner for his wife. He washed the dishes. He turned the bed down. He took a shower. His wife, she was already in the bed. 
And so he came out of the bathroom and he had a glass of water and he had two aspirin. And she said, what is that? He said, well, it's a glass of water and here's your aspirin. She said, I don't have a headache. He said, gotcha. So <laughs> we ought to celebrate marriage. We ought to celebrate marriage through sexual passion. We consummate marriage, okay, in the sexual act. But then he says this. We consecrate marriage in sexual expression. So we consummate it. We celebrate it. Then he says we consecrate it in sexual expression. So listen to how Paul concludes down in verse 8. Listen to what he says. He says, now, to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. Evidently at the time, Paul was not married. Later on, he probably was, but at this time he was not. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul again is saying, look, there's a place for the fires of sexual passion to burn hot and to burn bright, and that is in the marital relationship. So he's really giving something that's kind of really revolutionary back in his day. He says, listen, sex is not just for procreation to have children. It's not even just for recreation, just for the sheer pleasure of it. Sex is for communication. Now, this is something we've, we, we've kind of forgotten in the church. You know, in the Old Testament, if you go back and read the Old Testament, which you really should do, there's a lot of great things in the Old Testament. When you go back and read the Old Testament, it's interesting how the Old Testament describes when a husband would have relations with his wife. And if you don't know this, I'll share it with you. Here's the way it will put it. It will say, so-and-so knew his wife. Interesting. Didn't have sex with his wife, though that's what they were doing. Didn't have intercourse. Didn't have, you know, that's what they were doing. But the, Bible, but, but the Old Testament says, so-and-so knew his wife, I find that so interesting that the biblical author said, we want to use this word to know to refer the, to, to, to the sexual act of marriage. And I think there's a reason for that. Because when a husband and a wife come together in that physical union, they really do experience the most intimate form of communication that two human beings can have. And what's happening is you're not just communicating physical sexual passion. You're communicating personal spiritual Love, And this is why Paul's statement is so important. He's saying, look, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you burn with passion, can't control it, you need to marry. But Paul was saying more than just, okay, guys, if you just really cannot control your, your sexual desires and you just got to have the met, then just go find somebody and get married. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't being negative. He was being positive. See, being filled with passion, this is something we don't understand. Being filled with passion is not just to be on fire with your hormones. It is to be on fire in your heart with a love that God has given you for another person. You, you don't just marry to fulfill your sexual lust because we all know you don't need to be married to fulfill your sexual lust. You don't just marry to fulfill your sexual lust. You marry to express your personal spiritual love. That is why this part of marriage should be enjoyed and expressed and experienced as long as both of the partners are physically able and either one or both of the partners desire it. And that's why I use the word consecrate. You know what the word consecrate means, right? If you don't, let me tell you. The word consecrate means to set aside. 
If you've got, if you've got, uh, if you have a rainy day fund that you money you've set aside to save just in case something bad happens and you need the money, that's a consecrated fund. You set that money aside. If you've got money in retirement, that's a consecrated money that you have. It's set aside for a certain purpose. That's where the, what's, that's what the word consecrate means. Well, when I say you consecrate the marriage through sexual passion, what I mean is every time you experience the joy of the gift of sex. Husbands, you're reminding your wife, I have set my love aside only for you. And wives, you're reminding your husband, I have set my love aside only for you. There was a man by the name of Dr. William Harley. He's not living anymore, I don't think. There's a man named Dr. William Harley. And some of you may have read this book. If you did not, I'd encourage you to buy it and read it. I'd encourage you to buy it today. It's called His Needs, Her Needs. That's where I got the title for this message. His Needs, her needs. It's a great read. Here's what Dr. Harley did. He did an in-depth study of extramarital affairs. He did a study. He didn't do a study of good marriages He did and marriages that made it. He studied marriages that didn't make it. And the reason that they didn't make it was adultery. Either one or both of the partners had an affair. So he did this study. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. 20 years he spent studying couples whose marriage didn't make it because they committed adultery. They had extramarital affairs. Because what he wanted to find out was, how can I help couples avoid that happening in their marriage? How can I make, how can I, can I give some preventative medicine? So he, he, out of that experience, he gathered what he found out were the five major needs of the woman in a marriage and what were the five major needs of men in the marriage. So I want to give you, I'm going to give you all five. Go, go get the book and read it. But here was the number one needs of both the man and the woman, Okay. The number one, don't put the second one up till I tell you guys. The number one need of women is affection. Now, husbands, look up here. Everybody else, look up here. When I use the word affection, you think sex. That's not what they think. Okay, that is not their number one need as a whole. I'm, I'm not trying to stereotype women, but as a whole, their number one need is affection, meaning kisses and hugs and taking out the garbage and bringing them coffee in the morning and telling them that you love them and doing all the things that some of us sometimes find hard to do. They just need affection. They don't, they, they don't need to hop in the bed all the time. That, that's just, that's, not, that's not, you know, according to his study, they need affection. They still want to know that you're, that, man, I'm the only one for you. You still think I'm the most beautiful girl and woman in the world. And I do. I tell Teresa that all the time. I still do. I really mean that. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And you need to let your wife know that. You need to tell your wife and show your wife. All right? That's the wife's number one need. Ladies, he said the number one need of men is sexual fulfillment. That is their number one need. So it's real simple. Husbands, after you say, I do, you need to continue to show your wife the affection and the attention you gave to her to begin with. And wives, after you say, I do, you need to be the one person that your husband knows he can go to and have his sexual needs met. Now, let me just stop before I wrap this up. I'm gonna wrap up a little bit quick, but let me just stop and say one thing before I finish up. I probably worked on this message maybe as hard as I work on any message I do, and here's why. You know, I realize we're living in the Me Too day, and, 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 and I get it. I really do get it. And, and boy, pastors better get it. 
And I realized that, that we men especially, I mean, I, I was reading this morning, you probably read, and it's a tragic what's happening in another church and another denomination I won't even mention on the air. It's just, it's a tragic, it's just a tragic, tragic thing. Except for the grace of God, it could be anybody. But I cannot get away from the plain teaching of what Paul wrote in this text. And so I, I say all that because it really does grieve me I was thinking about it coming into to, you know, today. And again, Teresa and I don't have a perfect marriage. Okay, trust me on that, okay? Um, I, I remember Adrian Rogers said one time, and it's, you know, Teresa and I, we're like this. Teresa and I have never had an argument in 42 years of marriage. Never. Now, we've had discussions you could hear 14 miles away, but we've never had an argument, Okay. Yeah, we've had our issues. We've had our ups and we've had our downs. We've had our struggles. And we've had our ends. We've had our outs. Look, we're like any other couple. But I'm thankful that God gave me a wife that has been so wonderful in, in being the wife that she should have been in the area that I talked about today. And, 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 and I'm telling you, there is, there, there's a reason why God gave sex other than just having children. There is a, a, a real, and I'm going to talk about this as I close, a spiritual component there is a kind of a glue that comes with that relationship that nothing else can replace. But I want to close. I want, I want, I want to give you this picture. We're going to be finished. You may think, and you, some of you may be saying to yourself, oh, man, I wish I hadn't come today. Oh, dear Lord, here we go. You know, and some of you even, even think, and I've still, I still hear this, but I just don't think you ought to talk about sex in the church. I think part of the problem we got out there with sex with kids is we don't hear enough about it in the church, to be honest with you. That's just my opinion. I think we hear too much junk from Hollywood and from the media and the movies and none of what God says about it. That's my personal opinion. If you disagree, you're, it's, it's America. You've got a right to be wrong. <clears throat> but I want you to think about this. According to God, this is an amazing thing. God himself said, marriage is a picture of the relationship between him and his church. That's how serious this is. Marriage is to be a picture of the relationship that God has to his church. And just as he gave the life of his son to meet the greatest needs of his bride, the church, what Paul is saying is, and what he said over and over, what Scripture teaches is, just as God gave his son to his bride, the church, to meet the greatest need the church has, we, in a very sweet, sensitive, but sacrificial way, should show that same love to our spouses by meeting his need and meeting her need. Because the bottom line truth is this. Sex is both a gift from God and a picture of the grace of God that honors the God that gave us both. Now, before I say amen, just a little kind of next week, a little preview. One of the things that happens in a series like this is we ignore singles. And if I were a single person, you know, I'd be tempted to kind of skip out on a series like this. I'd say, well, I'm not married in fact, I'd like to get married. I haven't found anybody. It's frustrating. I'm not married. And, and you know, this, this just kind of makes things worse. Well, next week's message, I'm going to be, in fact, the title of it is Premarital Counseling. And I'm going to be talking primarily to singles. Singles who have never been married. Singles who have been married and divorced. Singles who have been married and divorced and remarried and divorced again. 
So I'm going to be talking. So I, I, I just want you to know, you know, help's coming, okay? I wanna get, I'm going to get in your neighborhood next week. But I'm going to say this one more time. I've gotten so much response, and, and it really has been encouraging. I've gotten questions. I've gotten, I, got a, I got a sweet email from a lady today, a single lady, asking us some really great questions. Well, I met this guy, but he's not a believer, but he's, he's kind of making progress. Do I date him or not date him? Or, you know, and she's just asking all these series of questions, and that's good. That's okay. I want to encourage you, if you've not heard this entire series, go back and listen to it. You can go online, go, 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 to, our, go to our website. You can go back and go back two weeks ago and hear the first two messages. I also want to encourage you to do this. In fact, I, I was so encouraged. Last night, <clears throat> I went to a banquet that uh, it was a gala for charitable giving that uh, one of our members puts on. And <clears throat> so we were kind of, you know, sitting at a table eating, and a young couple came up to me. I'd seen them here. They'd gone to our church for a while. I just hadn't been, you know, I'd gotten known very well. And they came up to me, a young couple, beautiful couple. They came up to me, and they said, hey, we go to Cross Point Church. And I said, oh, I'll tell me your name. And, and so we got to know them a little bit. It was a really, really sweet couple. They said, we want to tell you, we're so excited about this series that you're doing. And I said, well, really? I said, I thought, okay, that's helping their marriage. They said, we got a great marriage. I said, oh, okay. They said, but we know several couples. Their marriages are in trouble. They're about to said, you know what we've done? We have, we, we've, we, we've got them to look at these messages with us. And, and, and it's really being helpful to them. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I don't say that to brag on me. I'm simply saying, you've got maybe children I don't mean young children. I mean kids who are already married or thinking about getting married or down the road you'll have grandchildren. I would encourage you, take the notes, take the opportunity to have people come and look at these messages because I'm telling you, marriages are in big trouble, folks. In the church, marriages are in big, big trouble. I have seen in my own family the heartache that comes from when a marriage doesn't make it. I get it. I understand. So I've said all that just to say, as, as I talked about this message this morning and I talked about this whole thing about sex, you're going to leave one of two ways. Ticked off and irritated because I struck a nerve. Or you can leave here, and I'm telling you, if you will believe what God says, and even if necessary, if you've got to go get professional help, which I can't give you, but you need to go get professional help. I've never met, I've never seen a marriage yet that wasn't worth saving. Now, I've seen some marriages that only God could save. Matter of fact, that's true about, you know, about every marriage in, in reality. But I have never seen a marriage yet that wasn't worth saving. So I was close with saying this. I hope this series will just remind you when you come to our church, and I'm not throwing down on any other church. That's not my point. When you come to this church, no matter what the topic is, we are unashamedly going to go to what this book says right here, we're going to say, this is what this book says. And then we just kind of let the chips fall where they may. And the reason why I do that is this, is because number one, I don't have a lot of confidence on a lot of things I used to have, to be honest with you. I've become not more negative and cynical, but I've become more of a realist. And I just don't put as much faith in some things as I did when I was 20 or 30 or 40. But I'm going to tell you this. I have more faith in the power of that book today than I've ever had in my life. And I have more faith that Jesus can do anything even in a marriage than I've ever had in my entire life. So I'm encouraging all you couples out there, give, this, give the Word of God, give the Son of God, give the Spirit of God a chance to do a new work in your marriage. Let's pray together.